This podcast is supported by Amber Road, the world's leading provider of on-demand global trade management software and solutions. Amber Road's single on-demand platform automates and streamlines processes for import, export, global logistics, foreign trade zones, and trade agreement management. By helping organizations comply with country-specific trade regulations, as well as plan, execute, and track global trade, Amber Road enables goods to flow unimpeded across international borders in the most efficient, compliant, and profitable way. And now, on to the podcast. Can it be true that the U.S. is becoming the preferred location for manufacturers looking to nearshore their operations back to the West? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. It's hard to believe, but according to the latest manufacturing sourcing outlook study from Alex Partners, the U.S. has become the number one choice for manufacturers that are bringing back some production from Asia. Now, don't get too excited. There's no stampede back to the U.S. by prodigal manufacturers who abandoned the country for Asia decades ago. Still, companies are concerned about high logistics costs when their plants are located overseas not to mention the uncertainties that come with sourcing production thousands of miles from end markets. In this episode, I talk with Russ Dillon, director in the supply chain group at Alex Partners, about what companies are really thinking when they make that crucial decision about where to put their plants. He tells us the five factors that seem to be driving renewed interest in domestic production, and he talks about the prospects for Mexico as a nearshoring alternative. So here is my conversation with Russ Dillon. Russ Dillon, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bob. You know, I hear so many different versions of this, uh, so many different observations as to the degree to which manufacturers are or are not nearshoring or reshoring from China or other parts of Asia. What is your general impression? Uh, and based on some of the findings of the recent Alex Partners study, is nearshoring really happening? And if so, to what degree? Nearshoring is happening. It's I wouldn't call it a significant or major trend yet, it's trickling in, so to speak. And what we see is there are some companies moving production, for example, from China to Vietnam, or companies that 10 years ago would have offshored production from the U.S. to China, and now it's moving to Mexico instead, or they're staying put in the U.S. So the, the concept of, of, of nearshoring, and, and it's important to define what our study, how our study defines nearshoring, 
Um, you can nearshore, European companies can nearshore to Europe to serve the, U, the European market. Brazilian companies can do the same for the, the Brazilian market. But for the purposes of our study, it's with respect to the U.S. market and nearshoring closer to the shores or in the purest form of nearshoring, reshoring all the way back to the U.S. Um, but in terms of the speed uh, of the trend, it is slow um, and it fits in line with what we see out there that it's smartest to look before you leap. Um, and before you nearshore. The study of, uh, that Alex Partners did, is that your first, or have you been doing this all along on this topic? This is the fourth annual survey uh, of executives, of manufacturing uh, executives with global operations. It is a sentiment survey. The, the purpose of it is to, to get the opinions and sentiments of executives about the concept of nearshoring. And it really started four years ago when we had several boards of directors asking us, you know, hey, Alex Partners, we are interested in nearshoring uh, to Mexico from, from Asia um, or perhaps the U.S. We're evaluating it. What are other people saying about the safety and security of, of moving to Mexico? And we didn't have a very good answer for that. So that's what instigated the, the nearshoring survey that's in its fourth year. So what is different about the fourth year versus the other three? What are some of the major uh, game-changing trends that you see emerging from this new one? Well, the most important one is that when we started the survey, Mexico was the number one choice for nearshoring locations. And the, the options were Mexico, the United States, Canada, Central America, the Caribbean, and over time, the United States has caught up gradually, and this year, the fourth year, is the year where the United States actually became the number one uh, choice for nearshoring destination. Uh, let, me, let me just drill down on that one with you, because that's where I hear differing opinions. Some, uh, sur if not surveys, at least some people saying that the notion of the United States being a source of, of reshoring uh, or nearshoring is oversold. But that's not what you're finding. You're actually finding a keen interest among your survey respondents in the United States specifically. No question. And it's going to depend not only across industry, but also within industry, who are your customers and how sensitive are they to uh, being almost co-located uh, with, uh, with their supplier, which would be... Uh, you know, your company. And so in some cases, a, a, an executive is going to prefer the United States, even if you have to pay a bit of a cost premium in terms of total landed cost, um, that it's worth it to be located, quote unquote, down the street from your customer. It locks in that relationship. And in many cases, that's what the customer wants and needs uh, for, for flexibility and, and reactivity. So it is happening, but the degree to which it's happening, and again, I want to talk specifically first about the United States, at least at this stage, not a stampede of companies coming back to the U.S., right? That's right. There's, there's no stampede that we see. You'll, you'll hear some, some hard-hitting uh, headlines that um, talk about large companies bringing back a uh, production that ultimately serves the U.S. market, and they're bringing it back to the United States. 
But if you look at the big picture, it's not a major trend just yet, but it is a what what we'd say is a developing one. And it's it's and the reason it can't happen that fast is number one, you have to look before you leap. There is a there are a lot of considerations, a lot of risks in doing this. There are a lot of prerequisites that have to be in place. You have to have the availability of skilled labor. You have to have a uh, an industrial cluster that supports uh, the the type of of supply base that you need, and um, that's not you know that's not going to be sitting idle waiting for you to nearshore. The the timing has to work out and the economics have to work out. Your mention of the industrial cluster is especially vital because there are entire supplier communities that have grown up around manufacturing operations in Asia and elsewhere, for that matter. So can we expect to see, when a company does come back and starts manufacturing in the Western Hemisphere, that it will bring a bunch of at least its Tier 1 suppliers with it and that we will start to see those clusters developing here as well? Or... Is the nature of those clusters such that they really do need to remain overseas because of low labor costs or what other or any other factor? I think it depends on on industry, but um, generally speaking, just like the the nearshoring trend is slow, that that transition or migration of any supply base from Asia to Mexico or the U.S. is going to happen slowly. Um, so there could be a protracted uh, migration uh, coming coming eastbound. But, um, you know, in some cases, the economics would dictate that the supply base would stay in place in Asia uh, for, for that move, for that transitioning uh, company. It would stay in, in Asia. In other cases, the the migration would happen quickly because the, the, the economics would be dominant to do so. We have heard of a number of companies announcing that they were going to be sourcing particular product lines back in the United States, and they've made big announcements about it. Um, I'm just wondering, though, to what extent, and I think you're suggesting in your study that it's, that it's more than just cosmetic, that it's more than just PR, but is it in your mind? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think that large companies – um, have a, a huge incentive for selectively releasing news and, and, and information to bolster their made in the USA uh, uh, perception and, uh, and, and public rela- relations. Um, many of these companies that we've heard of that have brought production back to the US, um, they brought a small percentage and they're, they're dipping their toe in the water and they abs- it's absolutely the right thing to do in terms of taking small steps, small incremental steps, and bringing production back, testing it out, what we call a pilot. So piloting the concept and the idea to prove that the business case that was written on a piece of paper um, plays out uh, the way it should. And so um, I don't blame them one bit for marketing the fact that they are uh, more and more made in the USA but the fact of the matter is, is it's prudent uh, to 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 do that stepwise and 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 small pieces at a time. To the extent that your respondents are coming back to this part of the world with any aspect of manufacturing, did they tell you why? We did not ask that as part of the survey. Um, 
we did ask what are the greatest advantages of nearshoring, and there's a top five, and then everything else, uh, all the other responses are really a step change below these five. Number one is improved speed to market. Number two is lower inventory. Number three is lower freight costs. Number four is customer service. Number five is proximity to customer. So those those five really take the cake in terms of advantages for nearshoring. And it's interesting that our survey response responses followed suit with some of the macroeconomic conditions out there. Lower freight costs was the number one advantage from last year's survey, but it's dropped down a couple spots due to the lower prices in terms of Trans-Pacific freight. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's falling in line. The sentiments are falling in line with the economics. You know, those are five powerful reasons, and it makes me wonder if, you know, you're talking about companies want to be careful to look before they leap when they come back here. Based on the fact that those are five very good reasons to be here in the first place, do you think that maybe they failed to look before they leap when they went to Asia in the first place? Certainly possible. Um, I think that there are there were instances where they looked – when, when, when we say they looked before they leap, they looked only at the economics, which at that time were dominant. Some of the uh, more qualitative factors like customer service, customer reactivity, um, you know, those, those needs by the customer only in, have only increased since the 80s and, and 90s and early 2000s, right? So, um, so when, when they looked before they leapt, so to speak, um, they were they were looking at the economics, and that was a, a, a dominant sort of business case for companies to, to move. But they didn't look at the bigger picture. Um, they didn't look at some of the, the risks of extending the supply chain. And now, when companies nearshore, in many cases, it's it's in order to to overcome those challenges that they've created for themselves. I want to take a moment for a message from Amber Road. Amber Road would like to remind you to check out their new brief featuring research from Gartner entitled Maximize Supplier Collaboration and Procurement Performance. A multitude of forces drives today's need for greater inbound supply chain visibility and improved supplier collaboration. Gartner research found that organizations that are not using supplier portals to connect trading partners lack the visibility to leverage opportunities to collaborate. This research brief investigates how supplier portals generate cost savings through automation and provides expert recommendations on how to leverage portals to increase trading partner collaboration and reduce supplier risk. It also contains a case study on how Leggett and Platt used Amber Road's supplier portal solution to improve visibility over origin and supplier operations reduce cycle times, streamline broker operations, and reduce broker fees. You may download and view the research brief from Amber Road's website, www.amberroad.com. And now, back to the podcast.
it would seem on paper that Mexico would sort of be the best of both worlds. It'd be combining its proximity to U.S. markets with relatively low labor costs and the like. Uh, but it does seem also that in the last several years, Mexico has kind of faded in the uh, mind of a lot of corporations as the perfect place to site manufacturing. Is that your impression as well? What do you see as the trend as it relates to Mexico? I, I see Mexico still as a, as a very strong uh, option. Um, I've, I've known companies that have dipped their toe in the water, so to speak, in nearshoring and carved out uh, just a small percentage of their their supply base, and and transitioned it to Mexico, um, and really tested out the the concept. And it's been successful so far. Um, so, I, I, you know, what I'm seeing is that uh, Mexico is is without a doubt still a a, a viable nearshoring option, um, and it's close, and it has been in our survey as well. It's cl- it's close and on par with the U.S. And really, Canada and Central America and the Caribbean are far below the, the top two of Mexico and the U.S. What might be some barriers to sourcing in Mexico? Barriers to sourcing in Mexico are um, are going to be the availability of skilled labor, um, industrial clusters uh, that that are necessary for the the, the nearshoring company. Uh, and if they're not available in Mexico, but they're available in the U.S., it, it really, it, it really puts the U.S. in a great position in that in that binary decision. Um, and then the perception of safety and security. Uh, if you're a U.S.-based uh, company headquartered in the U.S. and your senior-level managers responsible for this nearshoring transition, some companies are absolutely comfortable sending uh, their executives for site visits. Uh, project starts and project management in Mexico, others are not. And so it's really a matter of perception and and preference of those managers. Over the four years of your study, have you seen any kind of a trend with regard to attitudes toward Mexico? Because I'm thinking that at least in terms of the headlines that we read in the uh, uh, all these days about security in Mexico, that violence in Mexico and the influence of drug gangs seems to be on the rise. I think that the the level of violence and uh, in, in, in what makes the headlines, I think the headlines have tapered off a little bit based on what I've seen. Um, but throughout the, the course of our survey, it's interesting, the majority of folks that take the survey when asked about what their outlook is over the next five years, they've consistently come back with Typically, um, folks land in the neutral, meaning it's going to stay about the same, or it's going to modestly improve, and they're they're about even in, in those two uh, selections. So, um, and we asked, is it going to dramatically improve? Is it going to? We also asked, is is it going to get uh, increasingly worse? And not uh, not a lot of respondents uh, select that. In fact. We also ask each person right after that question to self-assess their own experience and knowledge of Mexico. And what you can, by, by bringing those two uh, results together, um, what we find in our, just in our survey of 100, 140 uh, executives is that uh, the more 
knowledgeable you are, or at least that you assess yourself about Mexico, uh, the more positive your outlook is over the next five years. So as in so many cases, perhaps the headlines can be misleading, that we might be overreacting just because there are so many stories that, that reach the press on that subject? I think that's a reasonable conclusion to draw from this survey. Yeah. One curious observation that you made is the potential lack of skilled labor in Mexico. And yet Mexico has a long history of its uh, maquiladora factory setups where I thought there'd be plenty of labor that was uh, used to this kind of work that manufacturers want to do. Has that infrastructure weakened in recent years, or is it simply not suitable for the new type of manufacturing that needs to be done? Or what is the reason for this concern about the lack of skilled labor in Mexico? I really think it's just industry-specific. So um, perhaps uh, you know, I'll give you one example, uh, retail, apparel uh, manufacturing. We've heard of companies who have dipped their toe in the past in Mexico and have been unsuccessful because of the lack of a large skilled workforce in retail. But you're absolutely right. There are There's more industries than not that have a, a skilled workforce that deliver the products in a quality uh, and, and consistent basis across the border uh, for the U.S. market. And the rest of Latin America, you say, not as rated, not rated as highly in your survey. Any any sense of why that is, why companies would not strongly consider just going a little bit farther south to get some of the uh, benefits of low labor, but still relative proximity to market? Well, I think it has a lot to do with what you said. When you compare Mexico to other Central American countries, Mexico in many cases are, will have um, more developed infrastructure, more developed uh, skills in the local workforce in, in you know, in, in what pocket that you're talking about in Mexico. I think Mexico ha is, is more ready for delivery of, of high-quality uh, uh, product on a consistent basis. I'm not sure that your study looks at this specifically, but I am interested in the question as to whether the work that comes back to the United States that used to be here, does it come back in the same form, or is it different? Does it require a higher level of automation and therefore will not hold out the promise of as high a level as of employment as it offered to U.S. workers before it left the country? Our survey doesn't address that, and um, from what I've from what I've seen, um, I can't I can't give you statistics on on how you know what percent less than a hundred percent of the jobs come back. Uh, because of, of technological improvements, um, you know one of the one of the key differentiators for the U.S. is local or state governmental um, subsidies or or tax benefits uh, in terms of bringing jobs back. So, um, in many cases, um, while whether it's a hundred percent of the jobs coming back or if it's sixty percent of the jobs coming back. Uh, that were in that location, perhaps, uh, in the past, governments are, you know, I think Michigan and, and Pennsylvania are two of the more aggressive states that will offer incentives that make it, that really turn the U.S. Uh, into, into a, a, a better choice um, than Mexico for nearshoring um, a particular 
asset base or production facility. Um, so that is that is one of the uh, one of the key things in terms of jobs um, and 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 bringing back uh, bringing back jobs to the U.S. Here again, it's something that I'm not sure would be included in your study, but if it's not, I'd like to just hear your general impression about this particular trend. And that is over the years, we've heard the conventional wisdom saying, well, once companies are done with Asia, once wages go up there as they are now in China, the search will continue, then they'll go to Eastern Europe, and then finally the big one in the future, Africa. But I'm wondering once again, those five very powerful reasons that you cited for being closer to the U.S., do you think that that will affect corporate behavior in the future and make them think twice about this idea of always going for the lowest wage, or will companies always be chasing cheap labor? It's a great question, and, and, and that's the, the balance, the balancing act that companies are going to continuously do. And companies that have their backs against the wall many times are going to perhaps select a suboptimal, even though one component, perhaps labor, uh, is lower cost, they will, uh, under under pressure, uh, make a suboptimal change uh, because it's difficult to it's difficult to model in the cost of cust- being able to or the the benefit of being able to react quickly to a customer and the cost of of not being able to do so. So companies are going to, um, you know, for, for the foreseeable future, uh, make those types of suboptimal decisions when you look at the big picture. And so I, I don't think we'll, I, I don't think there's a definitive answer for that because um, companies are, are, are forced to do things that, that um, you wouldn't do uh, otherwise because of the competitive position that they're in. Let me finally ask you, Russ, with regard to the Alex Partners study, which, by the way, we will link to in the show notes uh, for this program, were there any surprises, were there any revelations that struck you when you looked at the results from this fourth annual study? A lot of the results were consistent with the year before. The biggest the, the, the biggest result coming out of it for me was the fact that, yes, we saw the U.S. closing the gap with Mexico, but the fact that the U.S. actually overcame and became the number one uh, preferred choice for nearshoring is is really uh, amazing considering the economics um, that we all sort of understand and perceive about Mexico. And so that that, for me, is the biggest takeaway of this survey. Well, the story continues, and we will look forward to the fifth Alex Partners study uh, on this topic. Uh, Russ Dillon, thank you so much for joining us to help us to understand what's going on in the world of manufacturing, sourcing, nearshoring, reshoring, and the like. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Bob. We'd like to thank Amber Road for sponsoring this podcast. Amber Road Solutions use a combination of enterprise-class software, intelligent trade content, and a global trade network that connects supply chain participants such as importers, exporters, freight forwarders, customs brokers, and transportation carriers. 
To learn more, please visit www.amberroad.com or email solutions at amberroad.com. Well, that was my conversation with Russ Dillon of Alex Partners. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. See you next time.